Hey everyone, so you've seen those period drama movies about all these famous wars and battles. Well, I want to give you the overview of Christian wars and battles, alright? 1054, the Eastern Orthodox Church splits from the Western Roman Catholic Church and they have yet to resolve those differences. In 1517, Martin Luther catalyzed the Reformation and the Protestant Church separated from the Roman Catholic Church and the Protestant Church has continued separating and dividing and splitting and separating and dividing. And then after Vatican II, Catholics fought against the, the old order versus the new order. And today we fight about almost everything and anything. Old earth versus new earth. The role of the Holy Spirit. Social justice. Politics. Baptism. In fact, almost anything will do as long as we're having a good old Barney. Or at least that's how it seems to so many people. And so what's with the history lesson? Well, we're doing a series called His Last Words, which is based on Jesus' high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. Jesus is about to die and be crucified. And so this prayer carries a weight and an importance. And when he gets to the part of his prayer where he's praying about us, the thing out of the millions of things he could have prayed for, the thing he prays for is our unity. And so two weeks ago, we, we saw that Jesus didn't just say, well, can't you guys all get along? He starts off with this idea that he enjoys a unity in the diversity of the Godhead. But he wants us to enjoy that too. And so we are encouraged to express and experience unity with God in Christ. Then last week, we saw how we have to express that unity in our local church and this week is the toughest one of them all. How do we experience and express that unity with believers from different churches and different denominations and different cultures? And so I know this is tricky ground because some of you are grace people. And because you know that it is often doctrine that divides us, you're like, well, then let's do away with doctrine. Let's stop fighting about what the Bible is or isn't saying. Let's just love each other and let's get along so that we can have unity. It's a good goal, right? And then on the other side, we've got people saying, no, 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 we must be united around doctrine. So we exert all of our efforts into making sure that everyone believes what we believe. Because then we all believe the same thing so that we can all get along and I don't know about you, but none of these methods are working. So today, either we're all going to grow into this vision of unity that Jesus has for us, or I'm going to offend the grace side and the truth side, and I'm okay with that. So let's start off with what Jesus is saying. Let's read his words. John chapter 17, verses 20 to 23. This is what Jesus prays. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you and me. That all of them may be one, Father. Just as you are in me and I am in you. There's the divine unity. May they also be in us. Why? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. Our unity shows the world something about who God is. I have given them the glory that you gave me. That they may be one as we are one. Our unity representing divine unity. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity. Why? To let the world know 
that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So while I know this isn't going to be easy, Jesus prioritized this and therefore we need to prioritize this. Now maybe you're watching this and you're not a Christian and if you're not, I'm, I'm so glad that you are watching this, but maybe you're saying, this is why I'm not a Christian. You guys are always hating on each other, kicking each other when you're down and you're also divided. Well, I know that and we're trying to address that in some way. However, this is not a uniquely Christian thing. The world is fueled on outrage at the moment. I mean, if we think about the internet, what the internet has done is taken everyone with an opinion. Doesn't have to be a good opinion or a well-formed opinion. As long as you've got an opinion and has put everyone in the same room and has like lit a match and let's see what happens. And what's happened is this side, regardless of the issue, this side is shutting down this side, this side is cancelling this side, this side is silencing this side, all in one-liners and sound bites. And what we're not seeing a whole lot of is respectful, patience, dialogue, even amongst people who possibly differ on certain key or important issues. And so we see division in the world. We see division in the church. So what are we going to do about this? And you can see maybe why Jesus prioritizes this. Well, I think a good place to start is to prioritize that which unites us. This was the same first point as last week, but last week we're thinking about us as a local church. Now we're thinking about all Christians in all denominations to prioritize that which unites us. And we've got a major clue here in John chapter 17. What is it according to Jesus' prayer in John 17 that unites us? What unites us is our unity in Him. I'm in Him. You're in Him. My neighbor's in Him. My friend's in Him. The other people in the other church are in Him. And as much as we are in Him and are prioritizing that unity, so we should be enabled and empowered to experience unity amongst one another and i know that sounds quite simple and at some level it is but we still need to define well, what does it mean to be in christ and who is christ because jesus being in jesus is not this like nebulous idea that means anything if we think about who jesus is there are certain things that jesus is and that jesus is not regardless of what you call him You can call him Jesus and say things about him that he is not. For example, you could be walking around Mall of the South and you hear people speaking about the pastor of Riverside Community Church, Stephen Pullman. And you're like, oh, I know that guy. And so you go and join the conversation and you listen to how they describe me. And they describe me as well-built, muscular, six foot five, long hair, and he loves playing rugby. And so you might interject saying, oh, I don't think that that's Stephen Pullman. No, no, it definitely is. Stephen Pullman, the pastor of Riverside Community Church. And you're like, doesn't matter what you call him. That's not Stephen Pullman. All right, now imagine scenario B. People are talking about Stephen Pullman in the Mall of the South. And you go and have a conversation about me. And uh, you realize that they agree on the core issues about who I am. Kind of 5'10", bald, 
loves cooking, loves the outdoors, loves fishing. Okay, yeah, that's Stephen. But they're arguing about what style of music I like. And one guy's saying, he loves punk rock. Another one's saying, no, he loves indie. Another one's saying, he loves electro. Now, none of those define my core being. In this particular case, I like all of them. So you can all be right on this issue. But it doesn't really matter. It doesn't change who I am if one person thinks I like one style of music versus another. And in the same way, when we get to Christ, I mean, you can say Jesus, you can call him by that name, and you can say, well, he's the same as other gods, other religions. And you can say he was created by the Father. Or you could say he's so loving, he's never going to judge anyone. And you can call him Jesus, but these are core to who he is. And so I want us to think about doctrine and truth and ideas along a spectrum. And on this side, these are core ideas that are powerful to unite us. So when it comes to what we believe about Christ and who we are as Christians, on this side are the core cardinal foundational truths about who Christ is, who God is, and what our faith is all about. And so where do we start to try and understand what these ideas are? Well, I think most theologians and pastors would agree a great starting point is the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. Very similar creeds. And these were drawn up by theologians to try and centralize what are the core tenets. That if you're talking about Christianity, this is what defines Christianity. Now, if you disagree with these things, hey, we can still be friends. We can still love you. We can still dialogue. We've just got to recognize that that is no longer this. All right? If you've never read the, the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, go online, Google it, and here's what I suspect you'll find. You'll read that list of things that we believe in, and you'll say, yeah, we, we at Riverside, we believe in those things. And then you'll speak to your Methodist friend, and they'll read those things and say, yeah, we also believe those things. And then you'll speak to your charismatic friend, and your Reformed friend, and your New Covenant friend, and, and they'll read these things, and they'll say, oh, yeah, we also agree on these core issues. And that is the point. These truths are powerful to unite us. So that's on this side. But on the other side of the spectrum are issues of preference, issues of almost no importance, even though some of you may get really hot and bothered about some of these issues. But like, can you preach in jeans? Can you wear a cap and lead worship? All right, how long can a dude grow his hair? Um, you know, what style of music can we do worship in? Okay? These are issues of preference. And I hope we agree that we should never treat these issues like these issues. And so if someone disagrees with you about whether or not you can preach in jeans, you're not going to write them off. You're not going to call them a heretic. All right? These are really secondary, tertiary issues and so often simply issues of preference. And so maybe you're saying, Stephen, I, I like thinking about some of these things we believe at different levels, but give me some scripture. Help me wrap my head around this from the Bible. Well, I'm so glad you asked because Romans 14 verses 1 says, Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. See, there might be certain things that you believe to be true, 
certain things that you may be passionate about, certain topics you love. And you might be so tempted to judge those who think differently to you. And now you look down on them and you might want to reject them. Now we're not talking about core foundational issues. So Paul says when it comes to disputable issues, if someone comes to a different conclusion to you, you are not to judge them. In fact, you are to accept them. Jesus even challenges the Pharisees who are doing this. He says in Matthew 23, 24, he says, You blind guides, you strain out a net, but you swallow a camel. I mean, I think that picture is so comedic. He's saying, listen, guys, you are so focused in on being right on the tiniest detail of doctrine and you're arguing about this and you're showing how you're right and how everybody else is wrong. And in doing that, you missed the bigger picture on who I am, the kingdom of God, God's heart for this world. And so we've got these primary issues. We've got issues that are almost at the level of preference. And then there are all the issues in the middle. And this is where all the fun happens, right? And there are going to be less important issues. And there are going to be some very important issues. But I think we need to mature as to how we think about engaging with those who see these differently to us. And so there's a very important question to ask. If I study the scriptures patiently over time and I read every book that I can get my hands on and I come to a certain conclusion on a topic, is it possible and is it fine, is it okay if someone does exactly the same process as I do and they love God, they love Christ and they gospel-centered, and they would affirm all of these things, is it okay if they come to a different perspective as me? And if so, does that mean that anything goes? And a related question is, well, what about denominations? Well, let's just think about the role denominations play. Denominations do exactly that. They denominate. So they denominate, here's group A, and they believe a certain something about tongues, for example. And here's group B, and they believe the opposites. And here's group C, and they have certain ideas about mission and about, uh, you know, church leadership. And so we get these denominations. Is that okay? And if so, how do we deal with the fact that we're all trying to love God and love His Word, and yet we come to such different positions? Well, here's... What you need to know about all of this stuff in the middle. Again, not this stuff, this stuff. This stuff tends to be pretty clear. Which is why when people disagree about these issues, we would start to say, well, now you're no longer describing historic Orthodox Christianity. But when it comes to these issues, there's a whole lot of stuff in the middle that a strong biblical case can be made in different directions. Now, I wish it wasn't that case. I wish everything was crystal clear. But the way the scriptures come to us, that just happens to be the case. Now, yes, there are some situations where the reason why people come to conclusions that are different 
are not because of a thorough, prayerful, patience, biblical study, but because of their own preference or their own bias or their own hurts or their own baggage or because of culture or because of tradition. And I'm not so much talking about that. I'm talking about people who prioritize God's word. And it is still possible to come to different conclusions on these issues. A lot of the end times stuff and the arguments around the end times falls into this category. So, for example, when it comes to the issue of the thousand year reign of Christ, otherwise known as the millennium, you get premillennialists, postmillennialists, amillennialists, dispensationalists, and then you get panmillennialists. And those are people who believe that regardless of what you believe, everything will pan out in the end. Jesus is coming back and it's all going to be okay. All right. Now, does that mean that, you know, the certain groups are absolute sinners and they, their brain stopped working that day? No. You're going to find godly people that you've got so much in common with, but who disagree about this. And when you ask them, well, how did you get to this conclusion? They're going to give you dozens, if not hundreds of verses and processing. And even people that you know that kind of affirms their positions. And you're going to be left going, well, I don't know. Is it even worth thinking about if so many people can come to so many different conclusions? And you know what? I've got an opinion on that topic. All right. I've got an opinion and I've studied long and hard over the years and I've looked at competing positions. And in this particular case, I haven't changed my position. In fact, my position feels stronger for it. But have you ever heard me talk about my position? And the answer is no. And so this can be kind of tricky because not only at a personal level, level, but at a church level, there might be churches saying, listen, we need to work out what the scriptures say about topics like church leadership and the Holy Spirit and the gift of tongues and prophecy, for example. And so we're going to pray and we're going to study and we're going to dialogue and, and we're going to put our hands on every resource that we can find. And as we do all of this, we're going to conclude the following. And this is what we believe as humbly as possible the Bible is teaching. Now, we can't stop believing that. I can't just say, okay, I'm going to stop believing this and believe what you believe. I'm still going to have a sense of conviction about this. But maybe, maybe there's room in the family for all of us. For my church and your church. Maybe there are people that your church is going to reach. That my church can't reach. And maybe there are certain things that we can do. That you can't do. See after all. Unity is not the same as uniformity. In fact going back to this basic foundational idea of who God is. God is unity in diversity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, unity in diversity, in community of love. And so somehow we as his children need to express and experience unity in diversity, which by definition means there are going to be differences. Differences, not at this level, but at this level. Cultural differences, different preferences, different convictions. But there is room enough in the family for us to still express unity. Maybe we need to learn sometimes to give other people the benefit of the doubt when it comes to this. So if we're going to do this, here's a couple of practical thoughts for you. And the first one is this. Quit quarreling. Just, just stop it. 
So Paul writes to Timothy, who's a young pastor of a church. Uh, he writes to Titus, who's also a pastor of a church. And he says very similar things to them. Listen to what he says. He says, keep reminding them of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. I don't know if you've ever seen a debate that loses control or something that just is so ugly to watch on social media. And these people are quarreling and they, they think they're being righteous in standing up for their position, but they're getting nowhere. And everyone who's listening and watching is going, this is ruining us. This is pathetic. I want nothing to do with this. A few verses later, in uh, 2 Timothy 2 verses 23 to 24, Paul says to Timothy, Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Because you know, you know this. They produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant, that's you and me, must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, and not resentful. And he says something similar to Titus. And I wish every single one of us, when we opened our devices or our laptops, that this is the verse that came onto our screen. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. These words are as true for us today as they were 2,000 years ago. This doesn't mean don't think. This doesn't mean don't have convictions. This doesn't mean that maybe you're going to believe something that someone doesn't. This doesn't mean don't have dialogue. This doesn't mean don't go for coffee and discuss these things. It doesn't mean don't have conversations. There's a big difference between mature, united believers who are believing different things about any particular topic and those who have an argumentative or a quarreling spirits. Now this can get tricky. Because the further you go this way to foundational core doctrines, there are going to be issues that people differ on that are really getting to the area of being dangerous. And so maybe these pastors or these churches would agree on all the things in the Apostles' Creed and these core issues. But you take half a step this way. And some of the things they may disagree on are dangerous issues. As inclusive as Jesus is, and not everyone sees Paul this way, but as inclusive as I believe Paul is, even they had a line where they called people out. And sometimes we need to lovingly warn people, and maybe it's still an in-house family discussion but i'm still going to lovingly warn you and we need to figure out how to do that without quarreling number two we need to have a humble heart and i think the starting point for having a humble heart is this just realize that maybe 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 you're wrong Maybe you don't think you're wrong. Maybe, like I said earlier, you have looked at all the other positions and your position isn't changed. But maybe within the realm of possibility, not on these issues, but on these issues, maybe you're wrong. 
One of the most brilliant theologians of our time, his name is N.T. Wright. He's kind of like the theologian for other theologians. He's just so brilliant in how his mind works. And even he says, listen, I know I'm wrong somewhere. I don't know where I'm wrong. But I know because I'm human, I know I'm wrong somewhere. And I'm sure one day I'll find out. You see, guys, there's a big difference between us saying... God's word is true in all that it's claiming. And my interpretation of God's word is always true. There's a huge difference in that. You see, over the years, while some of the positions I've held on certain issues haven't changed, over the years, some of what I believe about certain things have changed. And so if I look at... I'm 41 now, but if I look at 40-year-old Stephen versus 30-year-old Stephen, and if they had to get in a room and debate, one of them will be wrong. Maybe both of them are wrong, right? But at some point, I believed something different to what I believed. And so, was I wrong then? Am I wrong now? Who knows? I'm going to do my absolute best to be faithful to God's word and allow myself to mature and be transformed. But at some point, I also have to recognize my own frailty as a human being and have a humble heart. Number three, when it comes to people of other persuasions, we need to plan to understand. Plan to understand. James says, be quick to listen and slow to speak. See, here's what so often happens. I once heard that one pastor who once said that all charismatics believe this. All Baptists do that. All Presbyterians are wrong over here. And so you come across a Baptist or charismatic or a Presbyterian and you're like, I know exactly where all these people are wrong. And you have a conversation with them. You confront them about these issues and they're like, where on earth did you get that from? Right? See, here's something that I've found is so often the case, and we can only discover this through patience, loving dialogue, and that sometimes, while at first it seems like we're so far apart in some issues, sometimes it's simply a matter of semantics. I was listening to a debate the other day between a cessationist, I won't mention his name, but just a well-respected, published, academic guy who believes this is what a cessationist believes that the phenomenal gifts of the holy spirit like prophecy healing and tongues no longer operate in the same way that they did in the book of acts for example and he was debating well not so much debating have a having a dialogue a great in fact discussion with a panel of charismatic thinkers and theologians who believe that no we believe that those gifts are available to the church today About halfway through the conversation, some light bulbs started going on. And they started to realize, at least in this particular case, that I think we've got a difference in semantics here. You see, the cessationist, while he believes that words of knowledge and the gift of prophecy is no longer available to us today, he would still say that God can prompt me to do something. God can prompt me to pray for something. Or to think about something. Or or give me some direction with regards to a decision I'm praying about. The charismatic guys would say the same thing. 
he would call that a, a, a sense of divine prompting. The charismatic guys would call that a word of knowledge. Both would agree that this idea that's coming into your mind from God is subservient to Scripture, cannot contradict Scripture. Both would agree that we need to test this and weigh this and proceed cautiously. And yet, on one hand, at first, they seem to be so far away from each other. And at the end of the day, they both believe that God is still actively speaking to us. They're just calling it different things. But this takes time. This takes listening. You see, before you start correcting somebody and showing them how wrong they are, what you need to be able to do, and this is not just true in Christianity, this is true in all debating environments, you need to be able to articulate the other person's argument the way they would articulate it. So that when you confront certain ideas in their arguments, they're like, yeah, that's what I believe. And now I'm ready to receive some critique on that. But too often, I think I know what you believe because I watched this angry YouTuber tell me what that guy believes. And so I critique the sort of caricature of what this guy believes. I blast this out the water and he's like, what are you doing? That's not what I believe. That's not what I say. You need to make sure you understand what they mean by a particular term. Not what I think you mean by a particular term. How did you come to this position? Let me understand the, the verses that you wrestled with. Doesn't mean I have to agree with you. But at least now I understand you. Guys, and so Jesus prayed for this. Maybe you're like, Stephen, no, no, no. I still prefer my fighting and my online battles. Again, there is a time and place for wisely engaging some of the dangerous stuff. Like Jesus and Paul did. But here's the thing. If we think about the fruits of the Spirit. Love, patience, peace, joy. These are characteristics that ought to be on display by those who love Jesus. And not only with those who are like me and who think like me. But with those who differ to me, the world needs to see this supernatural unity within diversity. And now can you see why Jesus prayed for this? Because if we learn how to do this, we can show the world that we are his disciples by our love for one another, to quote Jesus again. I don't know if I always get this right. There are times when I probably err on being too generous and there are other times where I probably err on being too tight-fisted. But this is something we need to learn how to do for the sake of our witness. And also I believe for the sake of our joy as we begin to experience unity in diversity and so let me pray exactly that for us father we are now so more acutely aware why this is so important that out of the millions of things you could have prayed for us you prayed for unity 
Jesus, this is hard. There are so many things in my flesh that don't want to learn how to prioritize unity. Help us. I know this is messy. And I know this is tricky. And so Holy Spirit, give us wisdom. Give us patience. Give us humility. Give us peace. And yes, give us conviction. And give us love. And help us display what you were praying for us. We pray these things in the name and the glory of Jesus. Amen.